From the studios of Teeing It Up in the swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling for Tuesday, January 9th, the year 2018. It's cold. Our guest today is not cold because he is in Hawaii. He is lead tournament producer for Golf Channel, Brant Packer. Brant, welcome to Teeing It Up and thank you for joining us. Oh, Jeremy, my pleasure. It's, uh, yeah, it got, uh, let's see, it got about 82 today, so I don't know if that's a cold front through here or a warm front, but I'm not complaining. It's about 12 straight days over here, so we're doing great. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Brant will be the producer on coverage of the Sony Open in Hawaii, which starts on Golf Channel Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, I was not, by the way, told by PR to say that. That was just me saying that. Um, <laughs> You're all over it. Yeah. Um, and uh, when you and I sat down and, and, and talked about this interview last week or the week before, we um, did not know that a storyline in your coverage would be Bones. Um, yeah. You know, here, uh, uh, first of all, was Bones supposed to be working for you guys this week? Yeah, he still will be. Okay. We're going to play it by ear. Uh, Justin goes early late. Um, no, I'm sorry. He goes late early, which we knew last week. Um, so he'll work with us on Friday, and then we're going to wait and see he'll, how he plays or what happens with Justin. So I, I'll never root against Justin. He's <laughs> one of my favorite guys. But part of me says, hey, if he misses the cut, not the worst thing in the world because we get bones. Yeah. If he makes the cut on the number, we could get bones for, because they're going to go split tees, we could get bones for a little bit of time. Right. If he's in contention, it could be incredible. Because yeah. Because the insight we're going to get, uh, I mean, we're not going to, and that's the one thing I talked to bones about, we're not going to cross the line of, of taking advantage of him. I mean, he's, right. you know, when he's in those ropes, he's there to work, and that wouldn't be fair to bones, and it wouldn't be fair to Justin. So, um, but we'll have some, I'm actually having dinner with him in a couple hours to see how it's going so far, but... Uh, it's a great opportunity, and it is only a one-time deal. Um, it's not something that he, from what I've talked to Bones, that he wants to get into. Right. Um, but it was just something that, you know, being in Hawaii with the, the injury that Jimmy had and, um, you know, Justin being behind the, the eight ball, it, it made all the sense in the world. Yeah. Was there any consideration to um, Mike Bones this week, or is that something you guys would just not do? No, I mean, you know, you'd have to go through the tour. You'd have to go through a lot of things. And, and, I don't, and again, I don't want to speak for Bones, and we've talked a bunch about this. Right. It, it just puts a tough, I mean, I, I know Justin wanted him because he's, he's, you know, could be the top caddy out there, and then to have a situation like that, which would help Justin, but it puts Justin in a tough spot, puts Bones in a tough spot. Yeah. You know, so we're, we're treating this as, yes, he is one of our guys, but, you know, from the time he steps on the range um, to the time he's done, you know, that. They're there to work. We're not there to kind of interfere with it. But once we're done with it, or once they're done on the golf course, um, then it's all all access and, and be able to talk about it. Yeah, um, and uh, that will be fascinating because obviously, you know, a lot of people thought he was done inside the ropes and now he's suddenly back for a week and he's doing it with quite possibly maybe this side of, 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 uh, of uh, Dustin and his, and his freak athleticism, maybe the most talented guy on the tour in, uh, uh, sorry, JT. The second thing that came out of last week. And real, real quick on that. He, yeah, sure. The great thing about Bone. So he has not seen this golf course, right? So right. He's heard about it. And so when we, when we kind of tossed around that this would happen, I wrote in with Bones every day to the course. 
So I'm breaking down the golf course to him. And, you know, he's writing notes and kind of going over things. I didn't realize that Jimmy Johnson had already talked to him about the thing. So oh, wow. Like, well, who am I to tell him? Like, you know, I'm saying, hey, keep an eye on that fight line of 14. He hit this drive over the trees that we thought was a snipe hook. He didn't mean to, but he did. And so he's taking notes. And he changed his flight to get here. Um, from Maui Sunday night so he could be on the golf course first thing Monday. Wow. And he'll be at the golf course all day today, and, and you know he's hoping to get back here to, so we can have dinner at 7. So the cool thing that people need to know, it's not like, hey, can you caddy for me? And he's like, sure, just let me know what time the pro-am is on Wednesday. Right. He'll have spent two full days on this golf course because he doesn't know it. Um, and then we'll be ready to go. So he's treating this as if it's, it's still down the stretch, you know, just as important as any event he ever worked with Phil, which is re- pretty cool. That is really cool. Um, the second thing to come out of last week was I'm sitting there last week, and in the first hour, side-by-side Top Tracer technology comes out. First yep. uh, first hour of the uh, 2018 golf season, and boom. So on behalf of golf fans around the world, why don't we see this technology on a more frequent basis? And, 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 and by this technology, I mean more tracers and the side-by-side stuff. Is it cost? Is it resources? Is it mapping? You know, uh, it's everything. It's, and I, I think once, um, you know, if you can get a sponsorship with it, well, I mean, A, to map everything, um, you know, it, it just isn't something where you can show up and, and, and do it. Right. You have to have the, the technology and, and the mapping of every hole in order to do it. You know, we picked a certain amount of holes where we wanted to have the side-by-side and have the tracer from behind, and we were able to kind of move them around um, and, and, and pick certain holes that we want to do ahead of time. Right. Hopefully it, it's to the point where this is second nature and can do it. You know, and I hear people related to the first down line, um, I agree, but but it's also different. You know, I mean, you start relating golf to other sports, it's not fair. Because when you do something on baseball or football or basketball, it's it's one court. You know, and you talk about golf, well, you know what a golf course is. It's just it's massive amounts of, of the property where everything's got to be, um, everything has to be mapped. And, yeah, would I love to have it on every hole? Absolutely I would. But that's just not where we are right now um, when you do as many events that we do, but yeah. hopefully in the near future that we can come to that. Yeah, um, it, it was certainly fascinating to see last week just because of the whole yeah. topography of Kapalua and to, you know, uh, 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 for example, what, what Dustin did on number 12 last Sunday, I mean, that could be the shot of the year, um, and and to see those holes with the side-by-side and the whole topography, you know, that was a perfect venue for it. Um the, one of the big headlines of the 32nd offseason um, was the banning of uh, viewer Collins. And you, as a tournament producer, are in a very unique spot because things like the Lexi Thompson fiasco from last year, you get a front row seat because I would imagine you get a knock on the uh, truck door and there's some rules officials there who want to talk to you guys and uh, have a peek at, and have a peek uh, um, at some video. So from a producer's standpoint, how do you feel about the banning, and how do you feel about now having a tour official for every event you guys will cover this year, here, um, sitting in, in uh, sitting in the truck for the full broadcast? Well, this year we didn't have one last week. Really? Um, yeah, we didn't have one. Now, we have the ability to, to get on the radio with them. Uh, there, there was a question about... 
Dustin's drive on six on uh, what was it Saturday when he drove it all the way down and, and they had pulled the flag up ahead. Uh, I think it was Leishman's caddy who pulled the flag. The, the official came in to look at that and deemed it was no penalty because they were in two different groups. Um, mm. So we have the ability to tell them every time, hey, we need something, or they might come in and see something. But we did not have anybody in the truck with us. And uh, to be honest with you, I, I'm torn on this. Um, and I'm incredibly hypocritical when it comes to this. For, for the first part, that if the player, it, again, I, I've heard, you know, everyone comparing the whether it was a catch or no catch in the NFL and, and how they compare things to the NFL. And, and that's a little bit different because you don't even know what a catch is anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you do know if it's a rules violation or not. So the onus is also on the player. You know, if, the play, if, if Lexi doesn't mark it the wrong way, if Tiger doesn't drop it uh, left to where he should have on 15, there's no rules violation. You know, so the, the onus is on the player. But I'm also torn because I don't think it's fair a day later where you can go back and, and review video evidence and something changes. So, um, you know, I've also heard the argument, too, that, you know, guys like Tiger and, and, and what is now, you know, Spieth and Thomas, they'll always have a camera on every hole and every shot, whereas other guys, like Zach Blair or an Aaron Wise, it, um, it, that violation might not happen as much. And, and we had a situation in 2011 doing that event in Maui where Camilo Vijegas got penalized on the 15th hole where he hit a chip shot and it was rolling back and out of frustration he just kind of swiped his club from the divot. And what's two things that are, are, are interesting, none of us picked up on it. No one from the truck, none of the media, or none of the rules officials saw it. Yeah. And it wasn't until the next day when someone saw it on the replay where the slugger had called Camilo in, he came to our trucks, realized that it happened, and said, Yep, I did it. My fault. Signed for the wrong card. I'm out of here. Um, so what's, what's interesting about that is even if there was an official in the truck, I mean, like I said, none of us caught it. And the crazy thing is Camille wasn't playing well that day. And I remember this shot as, as vividly as I could. I looked up, and no one on the golf course was hitting a shot except Camille Vajay's at 15. <laughs> he wasn't really playing very well, and I had nowhere to go. Yeah. I said, let's go to 15, Camille Vajay's second shot. We just, I mean, sheer coincidence went to him. He hits this shot, it rolls down. So I told our ISO director, I tell you what, I, I'm not going to show the second shot, I'll just show his birdie putt. I just needed to show him to show somebody, but I want to finish him. Yeah. Our ISO director says, hey, he chunked a chip. I said, fine, I'll just get his par putt, no problem, because he wasn't a storyline or anything. ISO director then says, you know, he chunked his next chip. I said, oh, man, okay, go back and get the first chip, and then I'll show his par putt. <laughs> so it literally was that no one was hitting a shot, and the fact that if he had not chunked his first chip, I would not have shown it. And by sheer just accident, we happen to show it. And then, boom, he gets penalized. That so is crazy. It's not always who you think it would be or that the cameras are on. It could just be a stupid, crazy, you know, occurrence. And that's what happened to Camillo in, in 2011. And if, and if I remember correctly, it was him and Padraig and maybe one other that led to the 2013 rule change that went from DQ to two strokes yep. for that kind of issue. And now that is uh, 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 um, no longer two strokes after what happened with that. Uh, yeah. That's not, you know, Colin Coward made a great point when he was talking about, I, I heard him a couple weeks ago talking about the NFL. And he talked about how the, the traffic and the speeding cameras were put in in Los Angeles. And he said, look, they were put in for car chases or mammoth 
or, or massive uh, wrecks where they could go back and, and look at it. They weren't put in so that you could see is that person going 56 and a 55. Yeah. You know, and that's kind of the big difference that, that if you look at in golf. I mean, are these things being, are we going back and looking at, you know, these incredible cheating incidents, you know, that, that really affect play or not? And again, that's on the players, I, I think. That, that onus is if you do everything correctly, um, you should be able to go back and look at everything. You know, I mean, we've had, I don't want to name the players, but, you know, some of the Champions Tour events, I'm sure you can figure out, we've had officials go in and look, are they, are they anchoring? Yeah. We had some on the PGA Tour, and that, that's a little bit different. So, I mean, that's been the whole storyline of the whole, you know, Champions Tour the last couple of years is with Longer and, and uh, Scott McCarron, and, and, and there may be one more, this whole, you know, is it... You, Technically anchoring is it not? And I forget who it is offhand, but Tim Rosefort reported that a PGA Tour player who was anchoring stopped is now going back to it this year because he needs to save his game. Basically, yeah, using the. Uh, and, and, and we had, and I did a couple uh, PGA Tour events where the officials had to come in to look. I mean, there was a player that was brought in at Puerto Rico two years ago who played well and and, and looked at the, the footage and and. Um, there was an argument there where an official said, hey, look, I, I can see, I, I don't want to call you in here anymore. I can see this. And yeah. the, the player said, I don't see anything. Yeah. And that kind of led to that in, in the intent line, which is, again, another can of worms and all this. Yeah, exactly. My whole thing, just to finish this up, is you guys have your cameras. The Golf Central folks have their own news cameras that I believe you guys dip into sometimes at the start of rounds for highlight packages but are not part of your main coverage. Right. What if they see, so, so they film stuff, they feed it back to Orlando, the guys in Orlando see something. The way the rule is written, you can air it on Golf Central pregame, but if the guy in the truck did not see it, there is nothing they can do for a rules violation that now the whole country knows about that was broadcast on Golf Channel, but because it was fed to Orlando and not through your truck and and thus no official saw it, there's nothing they can do. I had one. I did the Regents tradition uh, four or five years ago where John Cook's in the lead playing the 13th hole at Shoal Creek, and he's in a bunker, and he hits this bunker shot, fairway bunker, and it, the ball somehow goes backwards. And he couldn't figure out how it happened. It turned out that one of the um, tournament director's friends had an iPhone and just happened to be to the right. And John Cook was a, was a fan and took this this video. And they came in and saw it and came to our trucks and said, hey, you guys might want to look at this. And the video, the angle that they had was better than any angle we had. And we had our Supermo camera there. And you could see the ball hit. And it double hit and went backwards and yeah. of, of every angle that we saw. And we had to show it to the officials, and, yep, they deemed a penalty right there on the spot. So, yeah, it has, you could have these, you know, tens of thousand-dollar cameras and these Supermo cameras. It could be something else that, that somebody sees, and it, it's, it's happened before. Sounds like your job just got a whole lot crazier in 2018. Yeah, uh, talking with the... Um, uh, 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 sorry, with the fantastic Brent Packer, lead tournament producer... On Golf Channel, let's talk about the Open for a second. You guys get this deal, uh, Golf Channel plus NBC does uh, 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 two years ago, two fantastic finishes. Your role, if I understand it, when you go over there, 
is you're doing all the hours Tommy Roy is not doing, which is a lot of the overnight Eastern Time hours, yep. w- that is based off the world feed that you guys contribute to, but also includes Sky. Um, is that coverage and, and producing that coverage a, a whole different animal than your just basic week because you're using the world feed, or is it the same basic thing? It is. It, well, first of all, I joke with Tommy. I get to have more fun than him because you know the shots that he shows are all, you know, they're the ones that the the, the meat and potatoes. You know, I get I get Faldo with Monty, and <laughs> I get all the guys, and we get to have a lot of fun and show shots and, and do certain things. Um, <laughs> It, it's hard. Well, first of all, I also did the, the with ABC with, with Mark Loomis in, in four and five, and then oh six I did on my own, and that's before we even had. I mean, we had a handful of cameras that we used mostly for cutbacks, so we took the whole thing from the world feed and did it. Mm. Um, at the time, it wasn't the most fun I've ever had doing it, but now it was a great experience for for you know what we have now. But. The, the job that the, the World Feed guys do is, is phenomenal. You could put it on the air, and, and it, it's good to go. Um, what we have to do is, is take that, and then you know we have you know, X amount of commercials we have to get in, X amount of elements we have to get in. Um, there's some guys when we're in breaks that we don't necessarily have to show, and, and we have certain cameras where we... You know, I always had an idea. When I left uh, ABC in 06, I had an idea of uh, when Turner you know, still had the early stuff to do only at the open, where, I mean, there's crazy stuff when you're over there. I mean, I, I remember in 06, they had people dressed up as tigers out on the beach. You know, the tiger was in the lead. It could be, you know, 35 degrees and the wind's blowing, and there's yeah. lying 10 deep at the ice cream stand. And yeah. there's stuff that you just like, what the hell is this, you know? Yeah. And so I had the idea of, of taking Charles Barkley over there and giving him a camera and just saying only at the open and saying, look, anything you see, chime in and, and we're going to do it. It's kind of like, well, my dad used to describe working with Al McGuire. You know, he would sit there with a little buzzer and, and buzz in when he had something to say. So we had all these things we wanted to carry over, and we've kind of brought it back. Um, so it's a blast. It's it's so much fun. You know, Tommy had the goal, too, when we got it, to show every player the first two days. Yeah. So we do a lot of stuff trying to knock out guys to help him out um, where we can talk to their producers and say, hey, do you mind showing you know, Jordan Niebrookie here at one? Or as they might say, who is this guy? Yeah. Um, so, so the interaction with them and, and working with everyone, the RNA and, and, and the World Feed staff, has been nothing but tremendous. And, and so far, we're two for two. We've had a lot of fun and, and two incredible finishes. And, and tremendous venues. I was just at Carnoustie, um, I wanted to say last month, but that was September, uh, which will be <laughs> unbelievable, and, and had a chance to play Rural Port Rush several times, which will be unlike anything. It's almost like you're on the moon, and you, there's a couple 18 flag sticks out there. So huh. really looking forward to the next couple. And th- what I think is, is the hallmark for how good the world feed has been is that I can't tell watching when you guys end and Tommy takes over. Hmm. And I think that's, you know... And, and that's partly because you guys have the same graphics package and stuff, but but it's right. it, you know I, I think that's a hallmark of how good the feed the world is putting out is that I, I can't tell where it starts and finishes. Um, yep. Now that must have been a good experience for Rio last year because I remember somebody right. um, w- one of your executives reached out to me and basically said. This is going to be interesting because this this feed, this world feed, is being produced for the world, for countries that do not usually get golf. 
And uh, and so what Brant is taking for America may not look like a normal golf broadcast. And I remember sitting there on that first day going, all right, this is going to be interesting. And it came off like a normal golf broadcast. So you guys did a heck of a job to take whatever you guys were doing for the IOC and turning that into a normal golf telecast. What was that experience like? Yeah, that was that was incredibly difficult. Um, but again, very similar to the Open, it was a blast. Um, you know, Tom Randolph, who, who's Tommy Roy's right-hand man, produced the World Feed. Um, so you have a golf guy in there, but he was giving strict, given strict orders that you couldn't be in the same pacing that you normally did. You know, you, 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 the point you made, you know, it, it couldn't be balls in the air, lands, okay, let's go somewhere else. Because you, you basically, for the world, you had to set up every player probably earlier than you normally would have. You know, because you have to tell the story, you know, where is this player, you know, from? When did they start playing golf? And, and you know, that sort of stuff. Um, and the hard part for us is, you know, we're not allowed to have communication with them. So really? we get an output wow. of what they have, and we don't have all the cameras in. We just basically have their output, and we had two of our own cameras, uh, a beauty cam and, and a couple RF cameras. And what we ended up doing was we put the RF cameras with, you know, in essence, the two TV groups. And it was only for us to be used as spotters, pretty much, because what you didn't want to have were your walkers out there and if a shot's shown, I don't know if the shot's live or not. Yeah. You know, so that's that's a that's a crazy curveball. So we use those uh, we use the cameras to kind of help identify if a player was going live. So I could say to whichever walker was out there, hey, coming your way, you know, we're going to show Justin Rose second at five. Or if a shot was on tape, say, hey, just so you know, you know, they've shown the Rose shot. Um, no need to come in here. Yeah. There were a lot of uh, there were a lot of little curveballs. Um, and we learned as, as we went along. And I, and I think the good news is, and what I'm so proud of, it was, the crew did such an amazing job that on both gold medal days, um, you couldn't really tell the difference. And, and i got to be honest with you, that first hour of the men's, I, I didn't really know what to expect. You know, I had called my wife the night before, and, and she said, what do you think? I said, Aaron, there could be 30 people here tomorrow. There could be 30,000. Uh, we could possibly show six golf shots, or we could show every golf shot. I have no idea. I've never been, I've never been more prepared for an event and less um, sure of what we were going to see. Yeah. The cool thing was, Bubba Watson teed off at like nine, nine twelve or something like that. And I remember Kurt Byram and Talkback said to me, "Pack, there are ten deep on the first tee here." And that's when it hit me, like, man, this is really going to be cool from an event. I just hope we can keep up and, and present it that way. And, and I, I, feel, I feel very proud that we did. And like I said, it, the crew did an unbelievable job with that event. And, and, and then that Sunday atmosphere was fantastic. I mean, yeah. that, and, and then for Justin and Henrik to duel like they did, and, and, and to get the finish you did and a defining shot you did with, uh, sorry, Justin Rose's pitch shot. That is anything and everything you could have asked for, the IOC could have asked for, etc. Well, here's the other layer to that is what Kuchar did. Because it, <laughs> what's really interesting is, again, that was the first Olympics I had worked. So the politics that go around for what NBC shows, it all has to do with what other American either teams or individuals are doing right. or something. And if I remember, there was like a women's volleyball or something that the Americans had to lose 
because they wouldn't have been in the in the in the bronze medal match, and then they lost, which opened up a window that if anyone was making a run that was an American in golf, they would come to us. So when Kuchar made this run in Eagle Ten, and it turns out that, like I said, it was an American bronze something. I don't even know. Yeah. They lost. It turned out they were going to come to us for a certain window. And then that window turned out to be a 90-minute window. And we had gotten so far ahead of our commercials that I think we took a one break in that, whether it was 70 or 75 minutes that they came to us. So um, the guy who doesn't get enough credit for what you saw at home was Kuchar. <laughs> in terms of what went on in yeah. the you know, golf channel would have had everything. But when Kuchar made that run, and then it turned out what was behind him was so good and so compelling that we ended up taking that break. I think we did it after the either tee shot at 17, or, which was part three, or the tee shot at 18. So that day just was a magical day that had nothing to do with the golf. It had to do with, and again, I'll, I know Mike McCarlin and I will joke about whatever sport it was that got beat, but it turned out to be great for all of us. And here's the perspective from myself as a home viewer, just as a fan. The way... You guys had advertised it in, in your press releases and everything was that there was going to be a window, as you said. And then I remember when you went there, when the NBC transfer happened, which may have been when they were on 13 or 14, I tweeted to Jeff Shackelford, who was on the ground, who had been promoting that this window would happen. And I tweeted, hey, they just did the switch to NBC. And he goes, wow, that's earlier than I ever expected. Yeah, us too. And, and and suddenly, like, hello, and then this great finish happens. And then the third layer, from my perspective as a diehard golf fan, is here you are, working with a world feed, an event that's never happened. Half your announcing crew is the NBC guys who you never deal with. What was that like to produce and direct announcers who are not part of your normal crew, who, who possibly, like with Faraday, you know, could have never have worked with you before, and now you're having to do it at this crazy event with a crazy setup, and, oh, hey, it's the Olympics. Uh, no, the announcers, that was not an issue. I, I, I had worked with everybody and have a great rapport with all of them, so that, that wasn't... Uh, that wasn't a problem. David, you know, when you work with David, there's there's 8 million other things that go through your mind <laughs> in an actual golf shot that he's going to call. That's, that's the least of your worries. Um, it's funny. I was more nervous with the Olympic stuff um, before it started and just with the politics to make sure we got everything right from verbiage to um, tea times to those little things. Yeah. Once the event starts, you know, everything kicks in. It's, it's an event, and it's, it's hard enough, and, and you can't lose your focus on a world feed and knowing when you need to get in and out shots and uh, when you need to go to breaks. And the hard part is it's not deciphering when you're going to break, but it's coming out of a break of the shots that you missed and then trying to coincide when you're going to pick up the world feed live. Because you don't want to be on a slip. Even if that delays, you know, 30 seconds, you don't really want to do that. Yeah. So there are times coming out of a break, and the same thing's true with the Open. You might come out of a break and realize you have three or four golf shots that you want to show, and so you're, you're showing tape shots and you're watching the world feed and say, okay, I want to, you know, get back onto the world feed, but i got to make sure also that the shot that I'm showing on tape is not the same guy I want to get to live. And, you know, there might be times where you show a couple shots and then you go to a couple leaderboards and you realize, okay, the world feed's back on Jordan Smith at 10. Great, let's pick up on the world feed. Um, 
and you got to make sure you don't show the same shot twice, which is, I, I know it sounds crazy, but that's where we would sometimes get in trouble in the ABC days where you would have some frustration with the BBC that they'd be showing a, you know, kid eating ice cream as Tiger's putting for Eagle, and you had your own cameras, and you said, all right, forget this, we're going to Tiger because we have two cameras with them. And then you pick up on the world feed, and two shots later they're ready to show Tiger's eagle putt. So, you know, you, you could try to outthink yourself. Well, you could easily outthink yourself, <laughs> but you, you'd have to be disciplined enough to stay with the world feed even if you could go places. Yeah, that is it, it's fun. It sounds, it, it sounds like a heck of a time. Uh, yeah. You know, Brent, uh, oh, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I'm just saying it makes the days go by fast because you can't, you can't take a breath, if that makes sense. Because normally in commercials, that's the time you can kind of reset. And say, yeah. Hey, are we missing anything? Or, you know, let's keep an eye on this or that. But when you do it a World Feed event, the commercials are really the toughest times. Because you, you've got to, it's almost like an air traffic control person. You have to get all your ducks in a row and know exactly where you're coming back and how you're coming out of break. Yeah, exactly. Talking with uh, uh, Brent Packer here on uh, Teeing It Up. The NCAAs. Um, my baby. Yeah, and and, and 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 it's your baby in multiple ways. Let's um, let's first talk family for a second. Your dad is obviously Billy Packer. Your dad may be alongside Al McGuire, the most famous analyst in NCAA tournament history. Um, he was a legend. He is a legend still. Um, and then to get the assignment that you are going to do the equivalent of what he did for golf. What, what, what did that mean for you, for him, for your family to continue a heritage in covering a national championship? It's funny. I, uh, we, Mike McCarley and, uh, and myself went to the NCAA. They do a coaches convention, golf coaches convention in Vegas every December. In the year before, so this was 2013, right? Yeah, 2013 we go there to give a presentation. And Mike had just said, hey, you know, think about how you want to deliver this to all the coaches. And, you know, we, we were there to kind of pitch ourselves and, and in essence, recruit. And But you can't out-recruit guys and, and, and men and women who do recruiting for a living. You know? right. So I had my spiel, and I, I remembered every NCAA individual champion from, from 1963. You know, I'm up there reciting it, and I realize as I'm doing this, it was almost being self-aware to take a step back and go, okay, you can't BS these guys. Yeah. Because you know, these coaches don't see right through this. And I kind of stopped and just said, you know, that they were, Steve Burkowski was nice enough to, to introduce me, you know, who my dad is. And I just said, look, I'm going to be totally honest with you guys. My, um, my dad did 34 Final Fours, and his favorite moment was the Monday night during commercial when they were about to interview the teams, the winning teams. And he would step back and watch the coaches hug the players. And he just knew what they all went through. You know, the sacrifices that the players made, that the families made, that the coaches made. And that was his favorite moment. And, I, I, you know, I got teary-eyed, and I still do. And I just said, hey, look, our goal here is to present these championships with the same feeling and affection that I saw in my dad's eyes when he watched the coaches and players. It had nothing to do with on-air. They were, they were in commercial. Nobody saw it except him. And that's what we wanted to do. And that, that was a, a selfish goal of mine. Um, and honestly, it's been, it's been a lot of work, but I, I, I love it. I mean, I, I literally live and breathe 
uh, college golf. I mean, college football is my favorite thing in the world. You know, I'm, a, I'm a college guy. We grew up in a college family. Not really a pro guy, so I'm all in on, on the college game, no matter what it is. But um, the cool thing is the student athletes have delivered and the coaches have delivered. They really have. And, you know, I thought it was going to be so much work, and it, it has been. But the beauty is during the championships, you do all this planning, and then you realize all i got to do is get the hell out of the way because the golf has been so great. The level of golf is unbelievable. Um the appreciation from the coaches of what we're trying to do and what we do, the appreciation of, I mean, you know, we do the East Lake Cup. I, the first year Vanderbilt was in there, so last, not this past fall, but the year before, I had all five of their players handwrite me a note. I mean, Scott Limbaugh is one of, one of the all-time classiest guys in, in any sport. He's their head coach. So all five of their student-athletes wrote me a handwritten note thanking me for covering them. That's crazy. Are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> Put on an unbelievable show, and you're thanking me. Well, we should be the ones thanking them. Yeah. It's been an unbelievable home run, win-win. Um, and the, the level of play on the women's side is just as good. I mean, the, the athletic ability they have, uh, the improvements in the short game, the distances they hit, the competitive you know, spirit and fire, um, it's it's been awesome. I, I love it. I wish we could do more, and I, I know that's that's something we have in the works of, of trying to do more. Um, but if they said to me, "Hey, Brant, you know you're going to have ten college tournaments next year. Are you are you in on doing it?" I, halfway through, they don't even have to finish the sentence. I'm all in. I love it. You know what's been remarkable? You talked about the uh, women's game. What Stanford did at that was concession, right? What what Stanford did. Yeah, with that comeback and that finish and all the people on social media, celebrities who started tuning in, you know, sports celebrities, uh, people who were, you know, had some connection to Stanford, that was like, okay, we've got something here on the women's side. And, and then I go to the Oregon thing at home with a gallery, like a real, like that felt like a professional tournament. And what they did and both Aaron Wise on on on, on uh, 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 sorry for the individual title, and then that whole team championship, that was crazy. When you realized that Oregon would qualify on their home course, um, you guys must have been licking your chops. Here's here's what's funny about that. So we do a media day about six weeks before the championships. So I'm there with. Uh, Casey Martin, and we're, we, you know, do this little presentation. It's about 10 minutes before it starts, so I'm on this, you know, front dais with, with Casey and with Aaron. So I, you know, and I'm keeping up with everybody, and, and I said, so run me through, and Casey goes, you know, Brad, ah, man, we somehow have to get through regionals. If we can get through regionals, I think we have a chance, but our four and five guys have got to step up. You know, he goes, I think if Aaron gets through, I, I really love his chances on this golf course. And he said, but the team, I don't know. We somehow have to get through regionals. And so we're keeping an eye on everything. And um, they get through regionals, and Aaron just plays unbelievable. And so what's funny is the Solman raza taylor Funk match was the match that went to, to extra. I mean, first of all, you have the Bo Hossler thing. And then what people forget is Scotty Scheffler just hammered Aaron Wise in that their match. I mean, that, yeah. was, that was the one we were all focused on, even though that – Oregon had a point before it even started, and that match was over. You know, when they both birdied 14, and 
and Scotty just hammered him. So what's funny is John Cook followed the Solman Raza Taylor Funk match, and if you go back, we probably showed maybe four shots of them on the front nine. I don't <laughs> think either kid broke forty three on the front nine. <laughs> and John Cook is even saying a talk back, oh my god, they have with bogeys or you know, and so we we're kinda of talking about, man, this this match is terrible. Well, the whole national championship comes down to that match and the golf that they played, I mean I know Taylor hit in the water on sixteen to part three, but the golf that they played down the stretch and in the playoff with all that pressure it's like these two just kicked it into a different gear and went from, again, I, I don't mean to be, I'm saying this as a compliment, but went from five handicaps to professional golfers on the back nine in the playoff was unbelievable. I mean, it was as cool of a scene as anything as I've ever seen. You, it was, Eugene, Oregon was phenomenal. I mean, that golf course, if you ever get a chance to play, it's incredible. And the hospitality and everything else, um, it was great, and you know, with the we're returning back, or we're going to Stillwater, Oklahoma, to Carson Creek, the home of Oklahoma State, and their men are probably the deepest team in the country, and their women had a great fall. So, there's a chance we might see a repeat of this come May. You guys, you took a shot, and it was so good. I actually took a phone picture um, um, off my TV of it and posted it to Twitter. Sorry, but it was so good. When you took the helicopter shot after they rushed the green, that's a scene I never thought I'd see in golf. It's amazing. We, there's another thing we do. It's, it's really neat, too, because our, our announcers are all in. You know, yeah. you know, Billy Ray Brown won three of them. He, and, and he, I mean, he, first of all, he cries no matter what. It's a little misleading. But we do, this fe- we do this feature where we're on Tuesday night. We sit down with both teams and have them say, you know, how long the journey is and say their names and then say, you know, we are the national champions. So we obviously have a, you know, one for both and we air it right before it. I kind of did it as our one shining moment. Yeah. Kind of a tribute to them. So we air it right in the last break before we come out and do the interview. And, um, I remember coming back from break, knowing that the Oregon piece was going to run, and seeing all the replays that we had. I was crying. I mean, I was everything I could to say, "Geez, Brant, for the love of God, dude, you know, tighten up here." You know, like, it's not like my Tennessee Vols just beat Florida or something. Yeah, you act like you've been here. Um, it, it, it was overwhelming. It, it was it was awesome. Um, and again. We, we, we left Eugene going, man, we might never see this again. And that's before the bits came out of, of where they were going the next couple of years. And um, so, like I said, fingers crossed for, for Carson Creek. And I, I, have a, I have a sneaky suspicion that um, we might see this again. Last question on this. Um, the NCAAs are going to, I think it is uh, Greyhawk for three consecutive years? Three years. Yeah. Is that something you're a fan of? Well, Will it help or, the, or or would you prefer, as someone who loves college sports, to see it keep on rotating? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, and, and some of the coaches, you know, we've got input from everyone. Um, you know, there's some of the northern coaches, there's some of the Midwest coaches that feel like that brand of golf um, helps and obviously would, would help the West Coast teams. You know, I saw concession. Um, really mess with a lot of West Coast teams and mess with their psyches before it even began. And that golf course is a hard golf course, and, and the setup probably wasn't the best, especially for the women. Conversely, I saw Eugene Country Club really screw with a lot of the women's southern teams and a lot of the men's southern teams because it was a tree-lined, Sahali-looking golf course. Um, Rich Harvest was a little bit of both and a hard setup. 
so whatever argument we have with, well, it could favor this or could favor that, the the, the honest truth is this is a golf this is a golf event now where the men and women are going to be played back to back, and so it's fourteen straight days. And so if you're playing. 14 straight days outside, I don't care where you are, the odds of 14 straight days being perfect, uh, you're pretty limited. Yeah. And, you know, at concession, we had all sorts of weather issues, and, hey, it's, it's late May, early June in South Florida. You're going to have that. The Friday of Rich Harvest Farms, of the women, you know, I'm out there. It never got above 45, and the wind never got below 20. It was, it was every bit as hard as an open championship. So the reality is, there, there could be some drawbacks to some schools, um, but the positives are the courses are going to be, or the Greyhawks are going to be immaculate. Um, it might be an easier setup than, than things that the, the players have seen in a while. But I'd argue as well, you know, the worst thing you're going to see then are the, the women's teams battling at 20 under to try to get in, and birdies get in left and right. That's a great thing. And most importantly is... You should have two weeks of unbelievable weather, which, you know, it's an event that cannot afford a delay on any of the days. No, it can't. The women's delay, the women's day gets delayed. Depending on what day it is, you've got to make unbelievable sacrifices. And same thing for the men. So I think it's all a positive. I understand the negatives, and I've talked to, I mean, 90% of the coaches um, and have gotten feedback, positive and negative. And the negative feedback like I said, that's the you know that's the caveat. But the truth is, there are some women's teams that may be from the north that they don't care about. Hey, I don't, I don't care about the men's day four here. It's just going to affect my team. And there are some men's teams that say, well, forget the women's practice round. You know, I want to make sure my team's set. And and I get that. You know, that's what you're getting paid, and that's why athletic directors are, are paying for it. But um, I think it's the best solution for a very complex. Um, tournament uh now watch you will get the freak arizona storm that messes everything up no there'll be an el nino we'll be there for like three weeks there's no question yes exactly you will get the worst arizona weather i mean how many times have you done a golf tournament and it's the one week it rained like that month well we had safeway two years ago that they've had a they've never seen it like that you know and um you know, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a freak on what I start looking 10 days out, any little change. But, you know, there's a, there comes to this point, too, that you can only control what you can control. Yeah. So, you know, if it's looking like rain, we're ready for our backup. If it's looking like wind, then we're not going to have it. If it's a Monday finish, I mean, you know, there's only so many things you can control. So you just try to be prepared, whatever it is. But what you hate to happen, and we had it when Humana, when President Clinton played with Norman, um, you know, they had called for some wins, but not anything crazy. And we came right on the air. They were on the ninth hole, and, and we went to 10, and they blew the horn because the winds just kicked up. That's what you hate is when there's just something that you didn't expect and you didn't plan for, and it comes out of nowhere. Look at this. Uh, uh, yeah. They're calling for stuff. You can prepare for it and be ready for it. Yeah. Uh, look at the snow that, that uh, came to Tiger's event that first year. Yeah, you're right. You know, just freak, right. freak stuff. As long as it's consistent. You know, but the, but what's hard is like Mayakoba every year, you know, the, or Puerto Rico. There's no radar system down there, so you're at the mercy with the tour as they're looking up and kind of getting information. And um, you know, Mayakoba, that's kind of the rain rain season anyhow. So yeah. we know every time we go down there. I don't even look at a forecast. <laughs> there's a chance we're ready to 
the horn to blow at any point that something could pop up. Um, you know, we had that situation at Reno Tahoe at the Barracuda this year where, you know, pop-ups happen and, and one hit within two miles of the golf course with no heads up or anything, just this lightning storm hit. So those are the ones that are, are a bother when, when you have no idea it's coming and it looks great and everyone's kind of caught off guard. Um, Brent, um, you have been fantastic with your time. I have everybody who comes on this show, I ask them one really random question that's out of nowhere with no warning. So as my final... The answer is Jeremy Pruitt within three years is going to lead us to what Kirby did, if that's your question. (laughs) No, that was not my question. Um, Sorry, but that was not my question. Um, My question is, my totally random question, your golf superstition. You cover guys who have waggles galore. What is your golf superstition? I have, yeah. So I played competitively growing up, and I played at the University of Houston. I thought I was good, but I, I turned out not to be very good before I transferred <laughs> to Tennessee and didn't play anymore. But ever since I was a kid, I was the biggest Greg Norman fan of all time. And Greg always wore his watch on his right hand, and his, his autograph, when he does the end, there's two dots by the end. And so there's two things. I always wear my watch on my right side. Whenever I sign my name after the R, I'm, I'm not saying autograph. I'm talking about any of them, obviously not that. But right. I have two dots. And since I was a kid, I always had two dimes in my right pocket. Because I'm left-handed, so it was always easier for me for my right hand to go to get my pocket uh, to mark my ball. So, um I always had my ball marker and two dimes in my right pocket, and I can't think of the last time I ever played where I did not have that in my right pocket. That wow! Some things just stick from childhood. It, it does. I, I know. Trust me. But I, and the other thing, when I produce, I used to always wear orange on Saturdays, and then I got so mad at Butch Jones that I wore all black all fall till we fired him. And now I'm back to orange on Saturdays, and I always produce with my Tennessee cup to my left that has all my pens and my markers and, and my scissors in there. So that, that's, my, that's my producer superstition, is that i got to have my Tennessee cup on the left and my uh, orange on Saturdays. You may need to plead the fifth on this. Are, are, are you somebody who's sneaking a peek um, while in the truck on, on uh, Saturdays at the uh, scoreboard to see what Tennessee's doing? In the fall? I need to, first of all, uh, find out who from maybe the Orlando zip code is listening to this before I answer that. Uh, There could be be some communication to me on what scores are. But honest to God, under Butch, we've been so bad, my balls have been free. Great. It's actually from five and seven seasons. I think make for better shows. If Jeremy gets us to where I think he's going to get to get us in two years or three years, uh, then we're going to have some serious problems. So you will need Tommy to take back over doing these uh, Hawaii events again. I know so Hawaii is great for me because I don't have to worry about anything. But yeah, we normally on the West Coast like in October and September. So um, yeah, three thirty CBS kick is always when we're in rehearsal, which is a killer for me. So. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I might sneak over, but again, it's been so bad the last couple of years. I have been total focused on Saturdays, so um, I, that's been my excuse. He is the lead tournament producer on Golf Channel. You can, uh, well, 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 uh, uh, well uh, 
I was going to say you can see him produce, but if you see him, something has probably gone wrong with the telecast. You're more than welcome. Anybody, come on in. <laughs> um, you, uh, 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 you can see his work on Golf Channel. There we go. Thursday uh, for the Sony Open starting at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. And you can stream it on Golf Channel and the Golf Channel app uh, as well. Brant, thank you so much for coming on Teeing It Up. I really, really appreciate it. Anytime. I'd love to be back on. If there's anything you ever need, please reach out. You got it. And thank you all for listening to Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling.